with uh, what you could call spiritual depression. Uh, spiritual uh, depression. Central character that we're going to read about this morning is Elijah. Uh, Elijah is a prophet. We're in the Old Testament. And we're in the period of um, Israel's history when there is a monarchy. Uh, this book is called One Kings. Initially, it was two books, one, uh, just one book of kings. It's been divided into One Kings and Two Kings. And it tells the story of Israel, the Old Testament people of God, under the rule of the kings. And they were mainly um, kings. And the kings varied in quality and in ability. There were good, godly kings, and there were bad, evil kings. And the particular king at this time was a really bad, evil king. He was a king uh, called Ahab. In fact, he was notorious for his uh, wickedness and his cruelty. And he had a wife called Jezebel, who, if anything was possible, she's like Lady Macbeth. Uh, She's even worse than Ahab. And God has raised up Elijah as a prophet uh, to challenge um, Ahab, to challenge Jezebel, and to draw the people back to God and to speak uh, for a just and godly and holy uh, society and community uh, looks like. Chapter 18 is the story of a great confrontation between um, Elijah and 850 uh, false prophets who are in the kind of league with Ahab. There's a big confrontation. I won't go through it all now, but nonetheless, uh, Elijah prevails. There's a great victory. Uh, God's fire descends from heaven and God's judgment is made known. Ahab panics and he flees Uh, to Jezreel, which is the capital of the northern Israel at this time. And we read that Elijah heads back to Jezreel uh, too. It's kind of a critical point in the life of Israel. These two men going to Jezreel, the capital city, to see who is going to prevail, who is going to win in the life of the nation. Is Elijah going to get there first and rally the people and overthrow the evil king? Or is Ahab going to get there first and kind of uh, shore up his position and fortify his rule? Well, we read that Elijah ran, but Ahab rode. And Ahab gets there first. And he does uh, fortify his position, uh, shore up his rule, uh, gather the people with him against Elijah. And so uh, we come to chapter 19, uh, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, He left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, that's a juniper tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. So after this moment of great victory, this moment of great triumph, this moment when God has vindicated him, 
uh, suddenly the tables are completely turned. Jezebel, the evil queen, sends this message, this time tomorrow you will be dead. We are coming for you. And Elijah flees. Flees, he heads out into the desert, he collapses down in exhaustion, he sends his servant away, and he prays a prayer. I've had enough, Lord. I can't do it anymore. I'm no better than the people who've gone before me. It'd be better if I just died. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that. I wonder if you've ever been in that kind of a place. Perhaps not as, uh, not as um, uh, deep as that, but certainly there's a flavor of that in your experience. A moment of spiritual breakthrough followed by a moment of spiritual depression. A time when you feel you've really moved on with God, uh, things are working well in your life, you know God's hand on your life, you know he's God's favor and his grace. Uh, Perhaps there's been some new insight as you've been reading the scriptures, perhaps God's spoken to you in a service or or through a friend. You just know that you've been growing and and moving forward, you've seen an answer for prayer, Uh, God's moved in a dramatic way in your life. And then the next moment, even the very next day, you suddenly feel alone, you feel in the desert, you think that you're a failure, you say, I can't do this anymore, I just want to give up. That was the experience of the vicar who I was talking with. They literally said, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. I can't go on like this. Elijah is a prophet and he has a a servant who uh, travels with him, looks after him, uh, cares for him. He's his partner in ministry and he notice in the the passage, he sends the servant away. That's a sign, if you like, that he's he's giving up his ministry. I I, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I lay it all down. I wonder if some of those who were confirmed uh, last week have had an awful week this week. Last Sunday, great celebration, the presence of God here, fantastic worship, encouraging word from the bishop, feel on kind of cloud nine, and then get up the next morning and go to work or go to school or go to college, suddenly ask difficult questions about what happened at the weekend, suddenly feel all alone, and just think, was, was it all a dream? Did I imagine all of that? God felt so close, and yet God now feels so far away. Jesus had a similar experience. We read at the start of the Gospels that he's baptized, and as he comes up out of the water, Holy Spirit descends on him in the, the form of a dove, and a voice is heard from heaven. God the Father speaks, and he says, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. What could be more affirming? What could be more encouraging? What could be a stronger sign of God's grace than than the heavens opening, the Holy Spirit descending upon you, and God himself saying, I love you, and you're in the right place, and I'm pleased with what you're doing. And then we read that the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert, where for 40 days and 40 nights he was tempted. 
does God do with people in this situation? How does God approach his faithful servant who suddenly feels lost and abandoned? Read with me, uh, verse 5. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he spent the night in a cave. Look how the Lord ministers at this broken prophet. He touches him. You notice that? He touched him. He wakes him. He feeds him. He lets him go back to sleep again. He wakes him a second time. He feeds him again. He gives him water. And then he says, right, it's time for you to get up now because we are going on a journey and it's going to be a long journey and you can't make it on your own. At his point of greatest need, at his point of greatest discouragement, God comes to Elijah in gentleness and patience. He doesn't lecture him. There's no snappy proverb to get him going. He doesn't shake him up and drag him up, send him on his way. He gives him a warm meal, what, what, what is more encouraging? What is better food for the heart than freshly baked bread? And he allows him to rest. And then he wakes him a second time and he feeds him again. And he says, we are going on a journey. Very subtle way, he says to him, it's not over yet. It's not the end yet. There is more to come. There is a journey that we need to go on together. In this encounter with Elijah, the angel of the Lord reveals that God knows what each one of us needs. He's a good father to his children, and he gives good gifts. In words that I say at every funeral that I take, um, I read from Psalm 103, and I say this, God knows that we are but dust. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're fallible. And he doesn't crush us in our infirmities. Instead, he ministers grace to us in our weakness. Of course, the ultimate expression of this is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. As the writer to the Hebrews says, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. God is not surprised by our weakness, our kind of moral weakness, or even just our physical weakness. No, he shows us grace in our weaknesses. He's not blindsided by our sin and our self-pity. No, he's made provision for it through the cross of Christ. So he restores him. He lets him rest, he feeds him, and then he takes him on a journey, a journey to Mount Horeb. So a 200-mile journey, and it takes 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't take that time to walk that distance. So we expect there's a kind of a restoration going on in the journey, a deliberately slow, uh, meandering journey to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb might not be familiar to you, but if I tell you its other name, it might have a resonance. Um, it's also known as Mount Sinai. Significant place in the Old Testament. Mount Sinai was the mountain you went to if you wanted to meet God. Mount Sinai was the mountain that Moses led the people of Israel to and then was commanded to ascend. Mount Sinai was the mountain where uh, God appeared in a cloud in the glory before Moses and then uh, gave him the Ten Commandments, the law, told the people how they should live. Mount Sinai means glory, means holiness, means God's presence, means a place of encounter. So Elijah goes to Mount Sinai, is led to Mount Sinai, and we read there that he um, slept the night in a cave. It's quite kind of prosaic language uh, there. If I was reading from the um, RSV or the King James Version, it would say he, he hid in a cleft of the rock. And that would have a resonance too. Because we read that when Moses received the Ten Commandments, uh, God's glory was there, his holiness, his presence was there. Such a powerful encounter that that no man or woman could could stand in God's presence. And so we read that, that God hid him in a cleft in the rock. So in a cleft of the rock, Elijah sleeps and Elijah waits. Verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I did everything right, and you didn't show up. I've done everything right, and I am all alone. That's essentially what Elijah said. God asks him, what, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, I've done everything right. And look at the tragedy that has befallen me. And there's a wind and God's not in the wind. And there's an earthquake and God's not in the earthquake. And there's fire and God's not in the fire. And then there is, I love the words of the King James Version, a still, small voice. Our expectations and God's plans are not always the same thing. Elijah is depressed because his plan has failed. God hasn't done what he thought he would do. God hasn't done what he expected him to do. God hasn't acted in the way Elijah felt he was obliged to act. Elijah thought he would head back to Jezreel. He would get there first. The people would rally. They would overthrow the evil king. God would be vindicated. His victory would be assured. And there would be a period of peace and harmony in the kingdom as uh, the Lord desired. And Ahab got there first. And Jezebel threatened him. And he finds himself alone in the desert. Elijah wanted a hurricane. Elijah wanted a hurricane that would sweep away Ahab and all his cronies. Elijah wanted an earthquake that would shatter the kingdom and throw down the false idols, and destroy everything that opposed God. Elijah wanted a fire that would cleanse the kingdom, that would burn up everything, every unrighteousness, every injustice, everything that stands against God. And he sees a wind, and he sees an earthquake, and he sees a fire. And God isn't in any of those things. God is in the gentle whisper. God is in the still small voice. And the thing about whispers is they're easy to miss. They're hard to catch. You have to draw close. You have to stop. You have to listen. God has brought him through his depression to a place of encounter. God restores him through his presence and through his word. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning, I'm sure there are, 
who's in a period of sort of spiritual malaise or spiritual depression, you can relate to this because this is, this is real for you. Uh, my friends, I'm going to speak uh, plainly. There are two mistakes uh, that you can make if you find yourself in that situation. The first is this. You can be too spiritual. They didn't like that at the nine o'clock. You can be too spiritual. You think, what I need to do, I need to pray more. I need to claim the promises. I need to memorize the scripture. I need to go to every meeting that's on at church. I need to go off on a retreat. I need to go to a conference. I need to read more books, see more websites, imbibe more podcasts. I need to spiritually work myself out of this depression. Remember Elijah? God lets him sleep. He feeds him. He lets him rest. He gives him water. He takes him on a long, slow, meandering journey. Friends, sometimes the source of our spiritual malaise is physical. You're doing too much. You need to slow down. You need to attend to your body. You need to attend to your relationships. You need a good meal in a restaurant you can't afford. You need a weekend away. You need a break. We are flesh and blood. God made us that way. God came and dwelt among us in flesh and blood. Our bodies matter. You can be too spiritual. And conversely, you can be not spiritual enough. Not spiritual enough. Some of you, when you find yourself in this situation where it feels as though there is a dark cloud above you uh, cutting you off from your heavenly Father, you know the truth in your head, but you can't kind of get them in your heart. You talk to everybody, you talk to your Christian friends. You talk to people at this church, you talk to people at other churches, you go and see the doctor. You change your diet, you change your routine, you organize your life differently. You try and lose weight, you try and put on weight, you exercise more, you exercise less. You do everything except stop and slow down and listen. You want earthquake, you want fire, you want hurricane. But you won't wait for that still, small voice. Search for the one who loves to give good gifts to his children, to draw alongside and come close. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. That's a hard one, isn't it? Go back from where you've come from. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meloah, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. 
Elijah says, I'm all alone. I just want to die. And God says, go back the way you've come. Anoint these people or put these people in positions of authority. These are going to be your allies. These are going to be people who are going to work with you and support you. And I know the hearts of my people and there are still 7,000 who are faithful to me in this land. God says, you are not alone. I am with you. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows their hairs on their heads. He knows their number. In this case, 7,000. He's ultimately in charge. And his will will be done. And his kingdom will come. Elijah never saw the national revival that he dreamed of and prayed for. Ahab and Jezebel stayed on the throne for some more years to come. Never saw the victory that he thought was promised. But God had a better plan. Let me take you 900 years later to the Gospels, to another mountain. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him, and they went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in their glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke spoke about his departure and how he's about to bring the fulfillment of Jerusalem. It's not the end here for Elijah. The things he's hoped for, the things he's glimpsed of, they will come to pass. 900 years later, he will stand again in the presence of God. So on Moses. But this time, they don't need to hide in a cave. They don't need to be hidden in the cleft of a rock. No, they stand in the presence of Jesus. And his glory is revealed to them. And they talk with him. The one who will overthrow sin and death. The one whose kingdom will ultimately come and whose will will ultimately be done. Some final words from the Lord Jesus Christ. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, sometimes we feel as though we are in the desert or hidden in the cave and we're just waiting for you. And Lord, we pray for ourselves and we pray for our brothers and sisters around us. Lord, that you would come to us and that you would uh, minister to us just as the angel ministered to Elijah. Um, Lord, if we need rest, we pray that we would seek rest. If we need to eat well, and to sleep better. We pray that you'd provide that for us. And Lord, if we need to slow down and to draw apart and to wait and to listen to your still small voice of affirmation, we pray that you'd give us the courage to do that. Lord, some of us, you're going to lead on to new things and some of us, you're going to draw back into old things. Whatever your plan is for us, we pray that we'd be aware of you walking with us going before us and coming behind us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.